Hey everybody, Jeff here from the FASD Success Show. Even though at the time of this recording, the school is over for a lot of individuals, it is still one of the biggest issues that we talk about here in the world of FASD. Today, my guest is Miranda E. O'Donnell. Miranda is an educational psychologist in Scotland. We're gonna talk about the best ways to approach an educational psychologist. We're gonna talk about IQ versus adaptive slash executive functioning, and also school and classroom intervention. So if your kid is done, but you wanna be prepared for next year and you want to have a better year at school well then Miranda's going to give you some tips on how to do that welcome to the FASD success show the only podcast where you can get real world information about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder this show will help you create calm in the chaos have hope for the future and more importantly save your sanity so you don't lose your flipping mind now, here's your host, caregiver turned world FASD educator, Jeff Noble. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 71 of the FASD Success Show. I'm your host, Jeff Noble. Thank you so much for joining me. Whether this is your first episode or your 71st episode, thank you so much for spending the time with me because I know that your extra time is precious. So, the fact that you're listening to me while you are uh, getting uh, that small break away from the kids, I appreciate it immensely. I hope you're good. I hope you're feeling good. And if not, I hope you're feeling better by the end of the show. Listen, you know, if you like the show, you know what would be cool and really helpful is if you subscribe to the show, it would tell the algorithm, which is the beep boop boops with uh, Google and Spotify and, and Apple and, and all those platforms that, listen, people uh, like us, people listen to us, and then when people are, are searching and they need answers for FASD, uh, we will show up in their search feed. So that's pretty important. And uh, it, it also, you get the, you'll get the, what's this? And also, you'll get... And also, you'll get the episodes right to your phone, right to your device, right away as soon as we put them out so you can gobble them up and get all the goodness because we do have some goodness today. Uh, we will be talking to uh, Miranda E. O'Donable. This is my second episode in a row with someone from Scotland. They're, they're doing uh, big things out there. Uh, I have a friend, Allie Brown, who runs the FASD hub in Scotland. She's one of the major players out there, so she connects me with all these cool people, and I'm able to have these great conversations, which you will have. Uh, I am feeling great today. I wasn't feeling great uh, yesterday. I got my second shot. I was a little symptomatic, but it wasn't a big deal. It just wasn't at my best, a little bit sluggish. Uh, but now I'm feeling great, and I just have to wait the, the 14 days, and then that's it. Everybody's getting hugs. I cannot wait. I'm a hugger. If you have ever met me or you're going to meet me, I'm going to be a, I'm a hugger. Uh, I'm going to come right in. I'll ask for permission first, uh, but uh, if you know that, you can initiate the hug first. I'm going to be all about it. I dig it. I love it. I can't wait. Give me some of that oxytocin. Can't wait to connect with uh, uh, you know friends and family and, and you in the future. Uh, hopefully, whether that's on the road or hint, hint, we might have. And by we might, I, that's going to be a very big possibility. Our own conference, well, we're going to have it uh, in Toronto. But uh, that is just foreshadowing. So I don't want to get too deep into it. So I hope everybody's get uh, you know being safe getting their shots so we can get uh, through this and move on from this and uh, get to connecting again, which is my absolute favorite thing to do. 
Yeah, one more thing before we get to the interview. Uh, we have something, uh, it's called buymeacoffee.com, where you could actually support the show. Uh, you could buy me some coffee, that's like a, a metaphor, but what it allows us to do is it allows us to do cool things with the show. Like, as you can see, it probably sounds better than it has, because we were able to hire an editor, and he's able to do cool things. Like, it was so awesome. Uh, he is already uh, ahead of schedule, and so it is freeing up my time to get more people on the show to do cool things. And we've started doing really cool things with buymeacoffee.com. Uh, buymeacoffee.com slash FASD success. It's where you could go and you could support the show. And what we've been doing is sending... Uh, like the our five major takeaways from every episode and i just been sending that into a message for folks who have been supporters and we've already hit our goal uh the goal was like let's see if we could do uh, a thousand bucks and we've hit that it was actually relatively quick so i'm going to do a 90 minute actually little teaching and q a so if you uh if you did if you supported the show thanks so much you're gonna get an email from me with details on registering for that for free Super duper. And last but not least, if you want some more support, we do have a, a free Facebook group, facebook.com uh, slash group slash FASD forever. There's about 3,400 caregivers, uh, frontline workers on there who uh, could give you some excellent insight and feedback and all of that good stuff. So let's move on. This is the perfect time for this interview. Why? Because a lot of, uh, I'm sure my audience and you, uh, your kids might have just finished school or they're just wrapping up school. It, and you may or may not have had a good year. I'm going to lean on probably, for the most of us, we didn't really have a good year. And so I think it's pertinent that we talk to an educational psychologist today and really find out how do we approach your school? How would you approach your school's educational psychologist? Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, IQ and adaptive functioning because I hear often, my kid's smart, my kid's smart, or the teachers will say, your kid's smart, your kid's smart, they're just not trying. Well, there's a there's there's a reason for that. We're going to get into that. And of course, some classroom uh, and school modifications, uh, interventions, as we will say, because it's important. So who, who are we talking to today? I'll tell you exactly who we're talking to. Uh, so we're talking to Miranda E. O'Donnell. Great last name. She's an educational psychologist in Scotland with responsibility for neurodevelopmental assessments uh, with health services in the area of FASD and intellectual disabilities. Miranda has worked in the education system for the last 20 years and has guest lectured on the Scottish Masters in Educational Psychology course. Currently, she's working on her PhD at the University of Edinburgh and on the value and impact of an FASD diagnosis. And she's doing some cool research uh, uh, studies right now, and she's got a few of them on the go. Hey, even if you're in Edinburgh, if you're in Scotland, you could possibly be a part of this. So I, I don't know about you, but if you're ready, I'm ready. All right, let's go. Hey, everybody, here I am with Miranda E. O'Donnell. Miranda, welcome to the show. Hi, Jeff. Lovely to be here. Oh, man, it's lovely to have you. Your accent is awesome. Your last name is awesome. Are you a football fan? I know Scotland. Uh, Wasn't it a big deal? Yeah, big deal. We're, you know, really, you know, proud of the team. They did their best. And um, let's not wait so long for the next time. 20 years, right? Uh, a dude scored and it was awesome. And the crowd went nuts. So it is a big deal. But you're like, as far as following football slash soccer, that's not your thing. No, unfortunately not. But, you know, when it's national games, you do take an interest. Yeah, got to rally behind the fellers. We totally get that. Well, you know what? It's a good thing. This is not a football podcast then, isn't it? Right? 
Absolutely, because, yeah, it would be a very short one. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk to you and a few friends. One, because of your background, because you are an educational psychologist. Two, you're doing some research. I have some profound interest in this subject. How long has it been since, I don't know, what do we call it, the awakening, right? How long has it been since you your lens FASD came into focus? Yeah, and I suppose there's been kind of various, like, I suppose, turning points in my career where I've kind of gone, oh my goodness, why are we not involved in this more as a profession? And I first met some families where their children were diagnosed with FASD. And that was kind of probably about 2012. And I suppose I kind of recognized, you know, kind of a lot of parents were quite anxious about about it and supporting their child because there was quite limited understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think I was just, I was kind of thinking, you know, why is there such an anxiety around this? I mean, why are parents feeling like this? Why do they feel that every time they're going to meet a professional, that there's some kind of judgment or something going on. And then in 2015, I attended Scottish Government's training and we had the fabulous folks from Manitoba over. Yeah, and Dr. Anna Hedlund Deerman and the team, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, shout out Dr. Deerman. Yeah. Isn't so, she so and, nice too? She's, oh, such a lovely Yeah, yeah, lady. right, team absolutely. Was, the team is just so wonderful. They were just so lovely. And actually, it was really interesting because it was actually all directed towards health professionals. And I managed to squeeze my way onto the course, as you do, yeah. as you do. And I just thought, wow, why is this just for health people? I'm like, I'm a psychologist. I can do all this assessment. Why are we not widening this, the lens of FASD out to education systems as well? Um, I got my colleague on the course as well. And then I just started kind of getting involved and I ended up doing a pilot with some colleagues in NHS Lothian. And we really wanted to test out the guidelines because um, it hadn't really been done. And there was lots of chat about let's have new Scottish guidelines and clinical practice. And myself and my co colleague were really kind of excited to be part of that because we knew we had the skills. We could easily contribute to it. So we did that in 2017, 2018, you know, had a pilot and we kind of it was it was great. We had really good outcomes. And then I just started thinking around, I suppose, you know, lots of kind of research talks about professional views about diagnosis. And I was like, where's the balance here? You know, what about parents? You know, they're the ones that have mm -hmm. to live and experience this. The young people themselves, you know, I'm like, where's their research? You know, who's doing research even with them? Like uh, we're foreshadowing part. now. We're foreshadowing now. We're gonna, I, now Sorry. I want to. I want to now just go. Wee, we're gonna just pedal yeah, back yeah. a little bit. No problem, because I really want to talk about the educational psychologist piece. Were you taught about yeah. FASD and when you were going through school? No, no. Um, a lot of the kind of training and educational psychology was about kind of practice and you know how to kind of guide and you know assess and formulate and intervene. I mean, we had, I suppose there's been quite an emphasis on in autism, predominantly intellectual disability, things like that. But no, it, it wasn't necessarily in that language. I think it was on the, on the outer perimeter of what was happening as a kind of, and it was around 2015, the more, the, the kind of Manitoba team were coming over that yeah. you hear about it in the Scottish government and literature as well. 
Yeah. And you're sitting there and then all these assessments that you've done and all these people and all these kids that you've seen and they're telling you what it is and all those days that you're racking your brain going, what is it? This doesn't fit. This doesn't fit. They come in with yeah. a slew of different diagnoses. The parents, like you said, are frustrated. They're anxious to meet you and not always in a positive way because of so many disruptive professionals that they see. And then it matches up and you go, oh my goodness, like, holy snap. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I'm just, I'm really, I suppose the point for me, and it was that I didn't realize for parents was I was like, right, okay, you're telling me this, right? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find out more about it. And then they were like, I felt as if they were almost going to start this kind of justification about having FASD and like, it really was a diagnosis. And I was like, well, of course it is. And I think, I think it was a bit of a breath of fresh air for them because I was like, of course, right. Let's just get on in terms of the educational system. Let's support things. I just had a probably different maybe it had a different experience with me and that was I think a quite an enlightening thing as well for me as a professional to realize wow what's going on here that parents are feeling that it's a bit of a baffle already now you can't speak for everyone I certainly understand that yeah. then what's the thinking with other psychologists and in, in the site maybe that arena you know the most where there is apprehension to understand and that these parents are running into this so where's the disconnect and you never judged a parent thinking like well maybe is it you you know uh, yeah. I think so I well so I was involved with the Scottish government and we actually put on a information kind of awareness session for the profession across Scotland for educational psychology to actually introduce the topic to them, raise awareness. And we had a brilliant, like brilliant feedback. People were just like, wow, I would love more training on this, more understanding. And I think it's kind of the way we're kind of made up of our different services. It's not like just one service across Scotland, obviously. But we've got like 26 different services. Wow. So each service will have a really different way of providing advice, running their uh, services. So this itself. is the, the silo syndrome yeah. where everyone's in their own in their own bubble of doing things. But in but all under the umbrella of the NHS, which for our uh, global audience is your national health service, right? Well, no. So I'm actually employed by my local authority. So that's like the education system. So we've got 26 education systems. Okay, got it. Right. And then we also have NHS Lothian, and that's divided up into different Lothians. So actually a huge amount of disconnect is between health and education. Got it. So, you you know, we can make the assumption that a majority of yeah. psychologists, whether educational or not, just don't have the training. Like they just were never introduced to it. And yeah. So then what happens is all these different diagnoses. Listen, one of my favorite people on the planet who is like a world expert, Dr. Mansfield Mella, famously talks about when, going 14 years of practicing psychology, like, yeah. uh, you know, being a psychiatrist. So psychiatry yeah. and, and not knowing. So it's about giving the yeah. benefit of the doubt. Let me ask you this, because I know it's going to be on the, the question, the minds of, of my people. So then what does a parent say to an educational psychologist at school? Because school is the number one issue that parents have, and it's yeah. not being heard, and it's not being taken seriously. What are some, some things that parents can do to make the psychologist take notice? I think sometimes, I, I think it's really important for them to share any journeys they've been on 
Okay. To share the diagnosis in itself is really important. And then I suppose really, because obviously we know that FASD affects every single child differently. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm, you know, yeah, yeah. so it's going to be like, well, what is it that they're really motivated by? You know, what is that kind of profile of like the things that they can do really well, the interests they have, and then balancing it with here are the challenges that they may experience. And it's maybe around, is it around reading? Is it around just organizing the materials every day? Do you know, what is it? So it becomes not just this child's got a diagnosis, that's it. But actually we need to kind of put it into the context of their learning environment, their relationships with adults and peers, so, and I really value the parents' voice and experience in that, of, you know, kind of sharing that with me. And sometimes I suppose as part of my role is I'm helping to facilitate the understanding in a school system and making sure that the, the child and the parents are feeling like they're getting the right supports as well. Just not just in the classroom, but in a kind of broader school community sense. Understood. So... And it's great that you're on the team and you have this awareness and you're seeing it through this lens. You must come up against pushback. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, I want to talk about that and not in the sense of throwing people under the bus. I, I want to know, uh, uh, Miranda, how you navigate that. How do you deal with some of these objections? I call them objections, like case in point, the kids look normal. They talk normal. So what do you say when other administrators are saying, you know, they can control this, they're just being bad or, or naughty? So in terms of schools, it is, you know, it's it's basically what we know is that you need to sh- share an understanding of what FASD and how it presents. And, and I suppose I kind of cite the guidelines and I cite all the great resources from um, NHS Aaron Nairshire. So I was kind of involved in the fact sheets and different things, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think... It's presenting that kind of wider understanding. You know, this is something that exists. <laughs> it is real, <laughs> Do you know. And then going through, you know, their kind of domains of like um, understanding, is it about their social interactions? What's going on here? Is it about their um, thinking, understanding, problem solving? You know, and I think making that come alive for a classroom teacher, you know, because Yes. Okay. They've got a diagnosis, but what does that mean? So what? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I agree. I, oh, absolutely. Uh, one of my mentors, Donna DeBolt, she says, you know, a diagnosis of FASD puts you in the right city. Good assessment puts you on the right street and good accommodations put you in the right home. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're absolutely right because it is such a spectrum. So because you do neurodevelopmental assessments, right? Like uh, I think over here, they yeah. call them neuropsychs or... Yeah, so so we have a range of psychologists. There's like so within health, um, there's clinical psychologists, neuropsychologists. I'm in the education system, so I'm looking at kind of assessment within the educational system. So it can be a range of things that I'm involved with, but as part of my interests um, and as part of my service, we're quite keen to develop more joint working between health system and the education systems because obviously. The behavior, the learning doesn't exist in just one context. It's not just at home. It's not just in the clinic. It's also in school. So we need to kind of come together as lots of different agencies and look at that. So I'm involved in kind of neurodevelopmental pathway meetings to start to look at how do we kind of actually look at all the different profiles. Because actually with FASD, as you'll know, there's like a really high co-occurrence with lots of other conditions. Yep. So that's the bit I think within some of our systems that we get really focused on just one thing and not think actually 
very broadly, what else is going on? Are we missing something else? Who's leading the parade, right? And you can usually tell by getting a good assessment, by looking at the function, uh, you know, the functioning of the kid. Have you done neuropsychs before, uh, like those assessments? Yeah, so I've done the I've done the FASD assessment. So I was involved in a pilot with yeah. NHS looking. So I did the, so I did all the assessments. I do then educational assessments as well, and that can then contribute to kind of other yeah. NHS diagnostic stuff. Sometimes an educational assessment is a double-edged sword. It's a false positive because of our guys can function often, you know, so they pass tests, but fail at life. They don't really look at the adaptive functioning area of that. Can a parent request that when getting an assessment or what's, how's it work where you guys are? So kind of in Scotland, in terms of like, we've got different legislation for like our services. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so basically parents can like totally get in contact with us with psychological services and they can say could you please assess my child but they can't request specific assessments so that's up to the professional themselves to determine what would be the most appropriate assessment tool so as would you have that kind of consultation with a parent or a young person of course themselves and say right you know what's what are the tricky bits to kind of school or you know, whatever it might be, or like, how are they getting at home? Are they quite independent? And that kind of helps to narrow you down in terms of what you would use and what you're likely to assess. Got it. So almost like the a screener with the questions to ask about domains without asking about domains, right? I guess the question I wanted to ask within that is, if we're saying psychologists aren't a lot aren't educated, wouldn't they then miss when during the narrow down process that we really need to get their like their adaptive functioning, their uh, executive functioning looked at rather than like maybe their IQ or their the what level they are at spelling or reading? I think in terms of educational psychology, we're, you know, we look right across that context of um how children kind of manage in their learning environment. And it's the interaction between, you know, it's not just about the child and what they can't do, but it's like the interaction between the environment, their actual like relationships. How do they interact with teachers? How do they respond to all those like adjustments, accommodations you were talking about? How are they like functioning at home? Is it kind of consistent? So we take a very, I would say as a profession, a very holistic approach in terms of assessment. And I think it's not just, with you know, here's a tool, like here's a standardized measure, go away and fill that out. And then you screen it and you get scores and things like that. Because like you said, we know the profile is so variable. Yeah, that, scattered, yeah. You know, like a lot of the kids won't meet criteria for lots of different things. But actually, you know, they sit there and you have a conversation, wonderful conversation. Like it's amazing. And then you're thinking, hmm, what was the question again? Because I've now lost it. And they've just told me this amazing story. But actually, that bears no resemblance to their actual life because I have checked it out sometimes. I was thinking, why do you actually travel on a bus? Yeah. <laughs> you know, all these different things. So I think that's the bit where you really have to get to know the child and you have to see their context. And that's a huge thing that we can really add to as educational psychologists. That is fair. Great answer. So every individual on the spectrum is different. Everybody, right? Just like human beings. But what are some of the common school interventions, classroom interventions that uh, you start to bring out? So we kind of look at the, you know, I suppose in terms of our curriculum, 
we always look at kind of literacy and numeracy and then health and well-being. So literacy and numeracy, we'll look at a lot of, we've kind of got our own frameworks for literacy difficulties as well. So it's looking at reading, spelling interventions, um, looking at the kind of, I call them adjustments in our classroom environment. So actually the physical environment, where are they seated? What about the sensory things that are going on for them? Do they have that kind of, you know, issues with noise? I kind of, I suppose, talking to teachers, we have to talk about a brain-based approach that it's not going to be this um, intervention where click, you know, it all just changes. And once you've done this approach and why are they not responding? Well, actually reinforcement's going to be, you know, reinforcement's kind of key here. You know, the routine, the predictability, providing lots of visuals. So you've got the kind of really specific, here's the academic interventions, and then you kind of get the environmental interventions as well. And then I'm always thinking about how we implement that. So it's a lot just to say to somebody in terms of a another professional. So we have to kind of talk through what does that look like and then kind of understand where they're coming from and how that's going to work within the classroom mm. too. Fair. Not to be a Debbie Downer, but is there in your, did you have to deal with any professional grief and loss saying, you know what, now that I know what I know about FASD, I might've missed some? Yes. Yes, I do. I, I think I, yeah, I can, I can think of cases now, like way on early in my career. And um, so I graduated in 2007. So I've been doing this for a wee while. That's okay. Um, yeah. So, um, so I reflect back and just think about kind of the earlier cases and having those conversations actually, because, you know, sometimes it's, it, I'm really fortunate as a professional that, you know, I work with schools, but I also work with parents. So I can provide that kind of in the middle opportunity just to have a chat to parents about how things are going about school without it, them feeling like there's any judgment or anything. Well, that's what I would aim for. And I remember I've just, I remember having conversations with parents where they've talked about pregnancy and the kind of, you know, the early years and where, you know, people kind of drank during pregnancy, but I, I didn't register at that time, you know, because I think ASD is so prolific and it's been such a massive change in terms of like, you know, supporting ASD, supporting learning disability, now intellectual disability, that the language around FASD has only really come into prominence in the last like, I don't know, six years or something, Mm -hmm. you know, for me. Fair. So what do you, I'm asking you this question because it's a double-edged there's professionals that listen to this and there's parents that have listened to this. What have you told yourself? What have you done to move past those feelings of, you know, snap, you know, I, I might've missed uh, some of this. I think for me, it's a journey, you know, and I think for anybody out there as a professional, I think a lot of us would say, right, you know, something, this is a learning journey here. I'm, I might get things wrong, but I can start learning here. So I've certainly read lots. I've certainly been on courses and talking to the parents kind of when I was involved in the pilot and I also work with FASD hub downtown Allie Brown and the team absolutely yeah so they're fantastic fantastic kind of and they've actually been advisors on my PhD as well so I'm really trying to make sure that I'm listening and I'm understanding as I go through this journey for myself and I think in my own practice I'm really conscious that I think about those early years, those kind of early experiences, early life experiences, but, you know, the developmental history as well. I'm a little bit more conscious, attuned to that 
when I'm having these early conversations as well. Well, that's awesome. That's excellent insight. What part of your job gives you the most professional endorphins? Like what is the most fulfilling part? Like you're driving home and you're buzzing. What is that for you? Um, oh, um, I think it would have to be my kind of multi-agency work that I do. I really, um, I'm sorry, I was just having to pause because I'm like, I don't really drive home anywhere at the moment. It's oh, right, right, right. <laughs> well, I'll take that picture with, you know what I'm saying though. Yeah, I know nobody's right. Listen, laughing. listen, Miranda, I just had people at my house for the first time on the weekend and I didn't even, it was so strange, uh, yeah. you know, and then I was yeah. like, just hug me. And I was like, harder, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, I get it. So I get it. What? Oh, okay. Sorry, I had to stop myself because I was like, I haven't been driving anywhere from work. So okay. Let me reframe. Like what's, what's your most fulfilling part of your job? I definitely has to be, and um, I think the nature of my multi-agency work, right, with health. I think that's been a huge thing in the last few years. I think, um, in terms of working, so I work. I've worked with. I particularly work with pediatricians, and um, and I work with um, our child and adolescent mental health team. So they look at kind of you know kind of mental health problems. They look at a lot of kind of diagnosing lots of different things that are going on as well, but. So I've been involved in, in an assessment pathway where, for intellectual disabilities, and I've also had experience of FASD, um, an assessment pathway. And, I'm, and I think I feel it's been really successful in terms of it's just really moved it forward. You know, we're getting there. We're starting to have this combined assessment pathway. And it's, it's kind of we're seeing the recognition of it. Like this is really working you know, the parents are saying, oh, wow, I've, you know, I've actually got a diagnosis or I've got an outcome now. Professionals are using the tools that we've come up with. That's making a difference. Oh, good. And I sit on an NHS FASD project board because that's looking at the strategic development. So again, I'm really excited because it's not working in silos. It's not just health do their bit, education do their bit. We're working together. So you're breaking, that's, you're yeah. breaking down those walls. <laughs> Yeah, I, like yeah. the 1982 uh, Run DMC Aerosmith video. Uh, uh, if, am I dating myself? But I digress. And they knocked the wall down. Yeah. That's what you're doing. You're knocking down walls. Ooh, title you know, Jeff, of the episode. I, Jeff, I was thinking more of, you know, David Hasselhoff's breaking, well, you know, in the walls in Germany. Oh, yeah, it's a European I joke. There it is. That. But I know which one you're talking about, actually. That's, I don't yeah. know if I should, I should be sad about that. When he's singing on the balcony. Oh, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And then watch him eat a cheeseburger after. Uh, anywho, I digress. Yeah. Okay, let's do this. What is the eye roll part of your job? Oh, like, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I gotta do this. Yeah, because it's yeah. not all, we're human beings, Miranda. Yeah, uh, yeah. What part don't you like? Oh, some so there, there's two elements and they're kind of interconnected so I would say online working can be hard because when you're coming together it's so nice you know those relationships and to see people in person yeah. and to kind of build forward so we've transferred everything online so we still do all our multi-agency work our formulations online so that's a bit tricky just but within that I think it hampers that opportunity to have when somebody kind of proposes something or you know you kind of have the language of like well you know I'm not too sure about this as a diagnostic label FASD things like that it's really hard to have a really good conversation and to debate it because I still maintain that um, 
it's not that there's no evidence. There's a there's just limited evidence. Do you know what I mean? There's uh-huh. limited research. So it's really hard when people say, but there's no interventions. There's not this. There's not that. And that's the bit I'm like, uh, uh, that's, not what, that's not what research tells us. You know, the research so far is really good, but there's not enough of it. There needs to be way more. And speaking of research, look at that segue, like a pro. Yeah. You're doing some research. Yeah. And so why don't you tell us if you're in an elevator with someone who wouldn't, you know, who only knows FASD a little bit, you know, what is yeah. your research about? Well, just to give you a tiny bit of context, okay. So there's no published re- research of individuals with FASD and their lived experiences in Scotland or actually in the UK, right? There's like a handful of really great studies, but they tend to be Canadian. And there's some that are, um, of course, and um, from New Zealand as well. So what I'm really interested in my overall um, kind of research topic is basically the value and the impact of the FASD diagnosis. Okay. Um, and I wanted, I'm going to do, well, I've started one of my studies, but I've got three studies So I want to look at young people's lived experiences of FASD and their kind of associated disabilities and how they kind of see the diagnosis. And then I want to look at health professionals' views of the diagnosis. And then lastly, educational professionals' views of the diagnosis. Oh, so what's their bias, judgments, understanding? Yeah. Yeah. So what, what are you when you are thinking about it or maybe you're picturing it what are you thinking what is your research going to do it, am i like i hope when i get the end here and my report it's going to help well so my first study is like i'm currently actually collecting data with young people so as part of the process i wanted to do um it's called, um, it's a methodology called PhotoVoice. I'm sorry, it's a method called PhotoVoice. It's a really, really nice participatory approach. So that's not just me doing research to young people, but they're also co-researchers with me. So basically it's a photo-based study. They're taking photographs around different topics at the moment for me. And then we're going to come back and discuss those talks and we'll come back as a group as well. And then we're going to reflect on, you know, what are the key messages for them as researchers, as young people? And what do they want to share with the public, with professionals as well? So I'm kind of hoping that I think their voice will be heard. That would be, you know, that would be a really nice, I suppose, outcome for it. And so I guess, likewise, when it comes to knowing what professionals and educators think, is it more than getting their objections or what's stopping them, blocking them, what their views are? Is that then to inform training material or, or is that what you're looking to do with those studies? Well, so so far in the in the UK, we've had and um, there's been like some really good surveys that have been done. And it talks more about their knowledge of FASD. It talks about the skills, their clinical practice for health professionals. And then there's, I suppose, the factors that impact on their clinical practice, which we've not captured really. So some of it just says, is it, you know, do they think it's stigmatizing or not? And that's it. So I'd really like to explore that in terms of how they feel about the diagnosis. And, you know, have they had practice actually diagnosing somebody and just looking at their views as professionals because I think that's the bit that needs to be captured 
and expanded upon. So what study are you actively recruiting for? And where can people find it? How can people get it? And then I have a couple more questions and then we'll wrap it up. But how do they find you? I'm doing my, my study um, with the University of Edinburgh. Okay. So I've got a kind of email address. That's a good place to contact me. But also I've got an advisory group for my research. And that's um, FASD Hub. Scotland. So they brilliantly um, and kindly let me have a web page. So all my consent forms, my information sheets, they're all available there. And awesome. um, so I, yeah, so you can kind of Google, I think it's Adoption UK. Uh, we'll put the, uh, yeah, um, we'll put also the link on our, on our blog. Oh, uh, fab. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I'm doing is I've got, I've got a small group just now because we're doing it online. Like a lot of the trainings online and like the conversations that we have are online. So I've got a small group just now, but I'm going to be recruiting for another small group of young people as well, kind of come August time. So this is a great, this is a great time. And it is Scottish young people that I'm looking for. Right. That's, that's a good one because the, the audience is worldwide. You have to be in Scotland for now until yeah. uh, uh, Miranda goes worldwide, right? When she's just doing yeah. it for the whole UK, <laughs> when she's running things and that could very possibly happen. Here's one of my last questions. Where do you suggest parents go if they're just, if they're struggling in school, like they, they don't know what to turn to where to go what to do like what could be because i always like to give like what's a what's a first step that you could take yeah no so i would i would always always recommend that parents and even young people because i think i think we can kind of just go automatically assume but you know young people are there their views should be sought that's really important but they should go to probably management and school you know classroom teacher and ask, you know, can I speak to like a head teacher, a deputy in primaries or secondary schools or, in, you know, indeed nurseries and just say, look, I'm having these concerns. You know, where do I go? So the school is a central point. OK, um, most definitely. Um, sometimes parents will contact us separately, psychological services, but we always try and work through the school because there's no point, again, having this, like you said, a siloed system where we're all working independently. But we're not joined up. Mm -hmm. So I think really, really important that you bring that to school. And we have like in Scotland, we have a framework called getting it right for every child. So it's kind of really embedded that the school is a central place for parents to come and address concerns. And I think as well, we have to recognize sometimes that parents might find it quite hard to do that. And I know like FASD Hub and, you know, there's other organ FASD, FASD awareness. They provide a lot of parental support as well for parents even just to have those initial I need somebody else to speak to because I'm not quite sure what's going on here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If that yeah. helps them, their dialogue and their conversation, then that's a kind of another mechanism too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well said. Last question. What's the last good thing you watched on Netflix? We need some recommendations for the people out there. Oh, um, this is slightly older, but I did really enjoy Mindhunters. Okay. We got Do it. You know yeah, it was the, the whole kind of FBI thing. And like, I don't know if you saw that. No I don't way. know. I I'm, I, I, I play video games. And uh, literally, there's 30,000 streaming things, you know, Mindhunters. So it, again, so it's almost like a, it's like a crime. It's like police. Well, yeah. so. Is it, it the it, psychological it, aspect? 
Yes, of yeah, course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> of course, like Silence of the Lambs, right? That's what's going on. I get I get it. Actually, actually, it's it's based on, um, you know, when the FBI came up with their own um, kind of units to kind of analyze and profile, do criminal profiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, back in this, I think in the 60s, 70s, and it's all about that. And it was based on all the different, obviously, Cases. horrendous things that were happening. Yeah. And they were going out to interview murderers, like serial killers at the time. Yeah. And they were, there was an actual pattern. But yeah, I thought that was really good. No, for sure. And and how do they come up with the methodology? What are the links? What are the connections? If that's yeah. your professional field, I, you would be interested in a, that in that way too. Hey, listen, when you're done these studies, will you come back and do the show again? I would love to. Thank you. That yeah, would be I, amazing. I had a good time. Thank you. Cool. Well, you know what, uh, guys, you, you heard it here. Uh, you can catch uh, on our blog at FASDsuccess.com slash podcast. We'll have a specific blog with Miranda's episode and we will list all of the, the resources she listed and how to become a part of her study if you're in Scotland and you fit that criteria. Miranda, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to talk to you. Lovely. And thank you so much for having me on. It's been a delight. All right, Miranda E.O. Donable. I just because I butchered her name so many times when I first started the interview that I have to say it every time. It's a pretty cool last name. I'm not going to lie to you. Thank you so much for sharing. I just want you to know that there are people out there, and this is another great example of people out there who say, hey, listen, there's research here, but there's not a lot of research here. So I can't wait to see what happens when she does get this perspective from the individuals on the spectrum who we know are the real experts here. And I love when she was talking about the difference between IQ and adaptive functioning. IQ is what you know, and adaptive and executive functioning is what you do with what you know. Adaptive functioning is your day-to-day -day living skills. So individuals on the spectrum often can have IQs in the normal range, but then their executive functioning is in the low range. Their adaptive functioning is in the low range. So it is incumbent on us to help them uh, with skills, help them to become interdependent in order to be successful. And you are the expert on your kid. So when you are approaching a professional, you know them. And so one of the best quotes that I've heard, I don't know where it's from, it's not me, don't raise your voice, rather improve your argument. And that's what we need to do. And that's why it's important to get an assessment on your guys to see where they're functioning. And so you are better prepared when you go into a meeting and you are able to overcome objections from professionals or those people who aren't as informed as you are because like uh, Miranda was saying it is not necessarily their fault they were just never taught so it's up to us and I wish it wasn't and I know you say it's so hard I have to keep telling people over and over and over and over but it's worth it it is important to do that you are important. I hear you. I see you. I know it's hard. And I know there are multiple times, even in a day sometimes, or in a week sometimes, that you just want to give up. You want to take off. You want to run away. You want to get away from all of it. Enough. You're overwhelmed, overworked, underappreciated. I got that. But don't quit. Don't quit. I want to read you something. I don't know who needs to hear this, but if it's you that needs to hear this, then great. But I want to share it. I was feeling that I needed to do this. There's a poem. You probably heard it. It's by my boy, John Greenleaf Whittier. Dude was around from 1807 to 1892. He wrote an excellent poem. Don't quit. I'm going to read it to you. When things go wrong as they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the doubts are high and you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but don't you quit. 
Life is strange with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure comes about when you might have won had you stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tint of the clouds of doubt. And you can never tell just how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when you're the hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Your family needs you. Your kids need you. The work is worth it. It takes a long time. Success can happen. It looks different. It takes longer. But hooking up with things like the podcast and the group and connecting with other people, that's how you're going to do it because you don't have to do it alone. So freaking come do it with us. I love your face. I'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening. You're the best. We'll talk soon. Until then, bye.